We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Well, good morning. All right. We have like three people awake. That's great. This is a good start. All right. Well, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Luke this year in 2020. Uh, And the reason we're taking a long time to look at a gospel, a book of the Bible like the book of Luke, is because Luke is telling us all about Jesus. Luke wants us to know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and why that matters for you and me. And we could spend uh, we could spend our time on so many things in Scripture, but if 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 we don't understand these things, then none of it matters. This is what is central to the Christian faith. Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? And how do we respond? And that's what Luke wants us to see. So as you're opening to Luke chapter 3, I want to ask you a question. If, uh, so whenever somebody comes to you and they, and they say, okay, I've got some good news and some bad news, which one do you want first? What do you say? All right, I heard somebody say bad news. So, so if, if you're a bad news person, raise your hand. All right, you want the bad news first. Okay, that's the majority of us. I'm, I'm with you too. Okay, if you want the good news first, raise your hand. All right, we've got like six of you. So others, that's good. That's okay. You know, there's more than one. So, you know, we're all in good community here. So that's okay. Um, but here, here's why I'm a bad news first person, okay? Because I think that whenever we hear the bad news first, it helps us appreciate and understand why the good news is so good. And so when somebody comes to me and they ask me, okay, do you want the bad news or the good news first? I'm, I'm almost always going to say, I want the bad news first. Because whenever I understand how bad things are, then I understand just how great and glorious the good news that they might be offering to me is. And, and whenever we look at Luke chapter 3, we come to a guy and, we, and, we, and his name is John the Baptist. Okay, this is what we call him. And... Obviously, he was a baptizer, okay? So it doesn't mean necessarily a Baptist like Southern Baptists like you and I are, but he was a baptizer. He, he dunked people in water, and we'll talk about a little bit of what that means here in just a few minutes, but uh, John was a very peculiar man. Uh, he, he ate locusts, and he wore all sorts of interesting, interesting garments, and we don't have time to dive into all of that, but uh, you can read about that in some other places in the Gospels, but John was a bad news first kind of guy. John, in fact, was very blunt about giving the bad news because John had a job to do. John was a rip the band-aid off kind of guy, tie the tooth to the door and slam it shut kind of guy. He was a very blunt kind of preacher. In fact, he starts out his introduction by saying, you brood of vipers. And to translate that a little bit uh, further, that means you sons of the devil. So he, he starts out his message, as we'll see, by saying, you're all sons of Satan, and you need to repent. And that's John's message. So John is very much a bad news first kind of guy, and the reason he's a bad news first kind of guy is because his job, he knows, is to prepare people 
for the good news that Jesus is bringing. His job is to prepare people for what Jesus is about to do, what God is doing in the person and work of Jesus Christ, because he wants all the people to be ready to follow this Jesus. And to do that, he needs to prepare them by calling out their sin and exposing it to the light and calling them to repentance. And so what we're going to look at today is this idea of repentance. We're going to see three things about what genuine repentance looks like. But before we jump into those, I want to just kind of help Luke uh, or uh, have Luke help us set the stage for a moment here. So Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what we read. Luke says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Acheria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. Goodness, I messed up, I think, all four of those. But... Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here's what Luke's doing. Luke is, is showing us where the events that are about to take place, where John is preaching his message in the context of world history. So he's, he's reminding us, if, if, you, if you remember last week, Pastor Cameron preached a message called When God Became a Teenager, and we looked at uh, when Jesus, Luke writes for us the only account we have of Jesus during his teenage years. And so we looked at how Jesus was faithful to his father's purposes and prioritized his father's will so that we could have a relationship with the father through him last week. And so now Luke is kind of fast-forwarding a little bit for us, and he's telling us where what's about to take place is taking place in the context of world history. So he gives us the fact that this is in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being the Tetrarch of Galilee. And so he starts to name these different governing officials to give us some context as to when this is about to take place. And, and the reason that he does this is because, remember, Luke is a very meticulous historian. He wants to relay to us a reliable, accurate account of Jesus' life, works, and ministry so that we can be certain of the things that we've heard about him. And so Luke gives us details that maybe some other gospel writers wouldn't give because he wants to be intentional about this, about this and also... Uh, just as kind of a, a side point, the reason that you and I know very little to nothing about all of the men that Luke just named, and, and yet we know so, so much about Jesus in contrast, is because all of these men were imposters desiring the worship and allegiance that only belongs to the true king. And so Luke shows us that in the midst of this Roman Empire, which was the most powerful empire of the day, and, and, and they had established a kingdom of sorts that was vast and expansive, he shows us that what is about to happen will transcend that. That in fact, the God who made all things, the God who made everything in history itself, has entered into history as well as reigning over it. 
And this is incredibly good news for you and I. Because especially in a year like 2020, where we have things like an impeachment trial and a presidential election coming up later in the year, there's good news to be found in the fact that Jesus' reign transcends all of the things that are currently going on in world history. There's good news to be found in the fact that our king is the king of kings, and the king of kings has in fact not just stood far off, but entered into our world to bring redemption and restoration. And so when Luke tells us about this Jesus, it is glorious good news that he is telling us, and he sets the context of what John is about to do in the stage of world history. And next he tells us a little bit about who John is and what John has come to do. And so John, John, if you, if you look with me at verses three, two through six, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Now that phrase is, is really specific. You'll find that phrase throughout the Old Testament in relation to God's prophets. And so John is being presented to us in, in the same line as the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. He is a prophet of God. He is one whom the word of God has come to, and he's received a message to deliver to God's people. So first of all, what we see about John is that he was a prophet. So this word of God comes to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So next we see, just like John is a prophet, he's also, he's proclaiming something specific. He's a baptizer. So John is proclaiming a baptism, and there's so much imagery that we don't hardly have much time to dive into it, but just to give you a few highlights, when, whenever the Jewish people would have been hearing John preaching about baptism, they would have had all these different things in their minds. They would have remembered back to the Exodus when God delivered his people out of slavery and through water to do it. And they would have remembered after that Uh, wandering through the wilderness because of their sin against God and needing cleansing from that sin, which water was a symbol of cleansing as well. And then they would have remembered entering in and through the Jordan, the Jordan River, into the promised land. And so John likely has all of these things in mind as he preaches this baptism of repentance to God's people. And they would have had this kind of imagery just circulating in their heads as John's preaching this baptism of repentance And also, we know historically, to become one of the Jewish people, if you were a Gentile, you had to go through the waters of baptism. So in a very real way, going through the waters was was associated with God's work of deliverance and entering into all that God had planned and purposed for his people. And so John proclaims this baptism, and essentially he's saying, if you want to enter into all that God is about to do for his people, then you need to be cleansed and forgiven of your slavery to sin, just like our fathers had to pass through the waters that God led them through when he delivered them. And so John proclaims this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He wants God's people to see something about themselves. And so he presents what we might consider bad news to them. But in fact, if you look with me at Luke chapter 3, verse 18, which we'll see a little bit next week, here's how John and Luke see this message. It says, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. 
So, so John is calling them brood of vipers, sons of the devil, and he's telling them, you're in sin, you need to repent, do a 180 and turn from sin towards God, and you need to go through the baptismal waters knowing that you need God's cleansing, God's forgiveness. So he's preaching a, a very blunt, kind of, kind of harsh message, isn't he? And yet the way John and the way Luke see this message is not as bad news, but as good news. So why do, they, why do they do that? Because if you look in verse 17, which we'll look at next week uh, a little more in detail, it says, his winnowing fork, talking about Jesus, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the, the, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus, John is talking about hell. He's talking about God's judgment on sin. And then Luke says, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to them. So John's saying, you're in sin. You're likely going to burn in hell forever. Glorious good news, right? No, John is, is presenting this part of the message because he knows who is coming, who is here. He's preaching this to the people, and it's good news that he's confronting them in their sin because Christ has come to do something about it. So John, John was a prophet, and he was a baptizer, and, and he was a forerunner. It was his job to prepare people for what Jesus was about to do. Finally, Luke tells us a little bit about what John preached, and we've already mentioned it, that he's preaching repentance. And to repent, you know, we use that word a lot, but oftentimes we don't talk about what it means. But to repent means to do a 180. It means to stop walking in one direction, to turn around and to walk the other. It means to turn from sin and turn towards God. So it involves a turning away from something and a turning towards something as well. So John is preaching repentance. He wants the people to turn from their wicked ways and turn towards God and his righteous ways. So John proclaims a baptism of repentance. He wants them to do a complete 180 shift and head in God's direction. And, and he does this in that really winsome way by calling them brood of vipers. Okay? And, and, and it's his job to expose this because John, as we read in verses 4 through 6, as it's written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, John is this voice crying in the wilderness. That's why John goes out to the wilderness. He's, he's obeying God and fulfilling God's promises. It says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John's job is to prepare the way of the Lord. He's to preach this message of repentance, and, and in so doing, I love how David Garland puts this. He, there's this imagery in Isaiah of rough terrain that obstructs, obstructs travel. So it's kind of like, you know, roadblocks. So there's, the, so there's these things in the terrain. There's mountains and there's valleys and, and things. And, and through John's ministry, uh, things are becoming level. And the way of the Lord is being prepared so that when Jesus comes, the people are, are on level ground before God, ready to receive what is offered to them in the person and work of Christ. So John is this 
preparer. He's this forerunner. He comes before Jesus comes so that when Jesus comes, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Meaning all nations, not just the Jewish people, but, but also the Gentiles. That one day there will be a, a people composed of all the ethnicities, all the languages, all the peoples of the world be united around Jesus. And so John, he's a prophet, a baptizer, and a forerunner who proclaims a baptism of repentance. So let's look for just a little bit about what repentance is and what John has to teach us about it. Because repentance wasn't just something that the people in John's day needed to understand. It's something that you and I need to understand as well. In fact, it's, it's, it's central to an understanding of the gospel because if we're to understand the gospel, we have to also understand how to respond to it. And so let's look at what genuine repentance looks like from John's message. So in verse eight, after he calls them brood of vipers and says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come or God's coming judgment on them, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's that judgment imagery again. The first thing we see is that genuine repentance is a demonstrated repentance. So John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And oftentimes in scripture, what we find is this analogy between roots and fruits to describe the relationship between our hearts and our actions. And so when John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, he's saying, demonstrate through your actions that the repentance that you say is in your heart is real and genuine and that's actual change. Demonstrate what God has done in you and bringing about this repentance in your heart and life through the way that you live your life, through your actions. Genuine repentance is this demonstrated kind of repentance. It's not just something that happens in the heart, something that flows out into the actions, into the way that we live life. So, John, uh, so and then John says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so if you remember back to the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, God made some really incredible promises to Abraham. That from Abraham was going to come this gloriously large people that was more numerous than the stars. And God was going to do these incredible things through Abraham's line. And that uh, that Abraham's descendants were going to be God's people, that his children would belong to him. And so the Jewish people, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of uh, almost prideful and, and arrogant and ignorant about their status. They say, well, we're sons of Abraham. We're, we're Jewish, and so we're good. They're, they're trusting in who their family is and not in where their heart actually is. They're, they're not understanding where their heart actually is. They're just trusting in, in who their mom and dad were and who their mom and dad was and, and so on. They're tracing their lineage back to Abraham and saying, we're, we're good to go. 
We do, we do all, the, all the right religious things that children of Abraham should do, and, and we belong to Abraham's line, and so, so, you know, we're good, John. And John says, don't say this to yourselves, because God is able to raise up from stones children for Abraham. So I, I, heard, one, I heard one guy put it this way, that, that it was said that by some that stones in the ancient world uh, could sometimes be used to refer to Gentiles, that Gentiles were as worthless as a stone. And so John, he, he says, listen, don't presume because you're Jewish that you're going to make it. You need to look at your heart, look at your life, look at your actions. Because God can raise up children for himself anywhere. And he can fulfill his promises still in doing so. Because as we read later in the book of Romans and elsewhere, the children of Abraham are, are not just those physically descended from Abraham, but those who in fact trust in Jesus Christ, the ultimate offspring that was promised even before Abraham in Genesis chapter 3. And yet still descended from the Jewish line. And so, so John's saying, don't, don't trust in, in who your family is. Don't trust in the things that you've done. Instead, bear fruits in keeping with genuine repentance. So, so, so here's what we need to see for us. It, it, it doesn't matter if you say you're a Christian if that's not actually true of who you are. Word, word service doesn't mean anything to God if your heart and actions don't reflect it. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a child of Abraham if that's not who you actually are. Just like it doesn't matter if you go to church and do religious things and, and pray and read your Bible. It doesn't matter if you do all those things if that's not who you actually are. God doesn't want begrudging submission. He wants actual, joyful, glad-hearted submission to his purposes. He wants you from the heart to want to walk with him. It doesn't matter if you say you're a Christian. No one is a Christian in name only. If you're a Christian in name only, you're not a Christian at all. If your heart has not been regenerated, made new by God's spirit, and your actions don't reflect a genuine repentance that you want to turn from sin and walk with Jesus, then friend, you're not a Christian. This is what John and Luke would want you to know. Because they, they so badly, just like I do, want you to see the glorious good news that we have in Jesus and to turn towards him in repentant faith. So, so but how do we tell if someone's repentance is genuine? Because this can kind of get, kind of get sticky. It can kind of get difficult, can't it? And, and, and in reality, there, there's some sense in which, you know, you and I, we're never going to be able to tell completely if someone's repentance is genuine because we can't see the heart like God can. But, but here's what the scriptures do give us some insight into, that, that genuine repentance is reflected in a demonstrated repentance, that it's reflected in our actions, in the way that we live our life, and the words that we say and use, the way that we live should reflect what's actually going on in the heart. So, so how do we tell if someone's repentance is genuine? We look for actions, not just their words. So, so if you removed the words that someone was saying to you, 
what message will their actions be proclaiming? If, if, if someone says to you, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I do all these things, and then, and then you got rid of all those things that they're saying, and all you looked at were their actions, what would their actions be telling you? What would your actions be saying? You see, genuine repentance is a demonstrated repentance. Actions, they tell us what we value most. They're often the easiest way to tell what's actually going on in the heart because they expose our values. So, so I, I love the show Parks and Rec. So, okay, let's do another quick poll here. All right, so who's my Parks and Rec people? Who's my office people? Okay, Parks and Rec. All right, the office. Wow, we're like split down the middle. I'm disappointed. Okay. All right, I like both of them. They're both all right, you know, but, but Parks and Rec is definitely better. Anyways, I was watching an episode of Parks and Rec the other day, and Ron Swanson is, is likely the best, best character on the whole show. Um, he's amazing. Um, I love him so much. And so he, he, there's this episode where he's sitting at his computer, and he's doing some things, and, and I think an advertisement comes across his computer that's a little targeted, and he's like, how'd they know that about me? And then so somebody comes up to him and, he's, and they say, <laughs> you think that's something? Type in Google Earth and put your address in. And so he, he puts his address in and, and then it pulls up his house, of course, because that's what Google Earth does. And, and Ron is this incredibly private man. He doesn't think the government or any, anyone should have much power over him. And, and, and whenever he realizes that his privacy has been sacrificed, he takes the whole computer and goes and throws it in the garbage. He throws it straight in the dumpster because he values something more than what the computer can give him, okay? So our actions, they, they expose what we value most, right? Well, it, it also reminded me of this time where I was at a youth retreat in, in high school, and, and a, a friend of mine, uh, he was becoming real convicted because there, there were some messages preached that were on uh, sexual immorality and purity and such, and he just had some things going on in his life at the time, and, and, and he needed to deal with it. And so what, the way that he demonstrated genuine repentance is he took his brand new smartphone that his parents had just bought him. I think you see where this is going. And he went outside on the dock and he chucked it as far into that lake as he possibly could. And our youth pastor, from that point on, he, you know, he said, okay, so let's demonstrate repentance in this way. If you feel like you need to get rid of your phone, if you could just come hand that to me so the parents aren't calling me upset, that'd be great, okay? But my friend, he demonstrated that the, the, the conviction he was feeling, that the repentance he was exercising was genuine through his actions, right? He was demonstrating what he valued most, that he valued his relationship with God more than what this technology was giving him in terms of temporary pleasure, and so he chucks it in the lake, and he gets rid of it entirely. It's the, it's the kind of repentance that Jesus calls for in Matthew chapter 5, I believe, where he says, okay, gouge out your eye or, or cut your hand off if that keeps you from sin. And he's not saying, actually, gouge out an eye or cut off a hand, and you would think that I wouldn't have to say that, but I do. I assure you, people have done it. Okay, but the, the point Jesus is making, and the point I think John would make to us, is that repentance is demonstrated through our actions. We, we cut off our access to temptation, and it shows what we actually value at a heart level. 
You see, because our, our lack of repentance is often demonstrated in our actions, friends, or our lack thereof. So our lack of repentance is often seen in continuing to give ourselves access to things that we shouldn't be looking at online or on television. It's often seen in our refusal to listen to our spouse or our kids about how our words or our lack of affection actually harm them. It's often seen in our continuing to gossip about our coworkers or fellow church members because if we're honest, we actually like the attention that it gives us. You see, our actions reveal the state of our hearts, friends. They reveal what we actually value. And here's the most devastating thing about our lack of repentance is that just like the Jewish people that John was preaching this bold, confrontational message to you, we often give the appearance of religion while lacking its actual substance. You know what I mean by that? We, we, we do all the right things and we say all the right things in terms of like church attendance and religious things and such, but then when we look at the way we live our lives outside of those contexts, our actions proclaim and reveal a totally different story. It's a genuine repentance, I think John teaches us, is a demonstrated repentance, but it's also genuine repentance seeks to understand what we should do. So, so the crowds, as, as they're hearing John preach this message, they, they realize, okay, we've got we've to respond, we've got to do something with this, because what he's, what he's saying, now I'm beginning to, to grasp it, understand it a little bit, and, and so what do I do now, is what they say. They, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? You see, genuine repentance seeks to understand what we should do. This is the question we all ought to be asking. So what should I do now? When we hear the message of God, when we hear God confront us on our junk, on the stuff that's going on in our hearts and in our lives, our response should be, what should I do? Because a a proper understanding and appreciation of the good news does involve an accurate understanding of the bad news, that we're caught and stuck in sin. We need a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior, but also equally important is understanding what we need to do with the good news that we've received, what we need to do with the bad news and the good news, what we do with it. And what scripture tells us to do with it is to repent and believe. And so Paul puts it this way. This is why the gospel is such good news. It requires absolutely nothing from us, only that we repent and believe in what Jesus has done. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. He says, For you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But Pastor, while you were reading that, I read on in Luke 3, and what I'm seeing here is that John actually gives them a list of things to do. So where's the disconnect? Which one is it? What do we do? I mean, John, here's what John says in response to their question. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. So which one is it? Do, do, we, do, what Paul, uh, do we do what Paul says? Are, are we saved by grace through faith 
in Christ, just like Paula said? Or, or is it that we need to repent and change our actions in the way that we live like John the Baptist is saying? I mean, John's a Baptist, so maybe we should go with him. No, it's, it's both. I heard someone say both, right? See, grace and good works are not contrary to one another in the scriptures. In fact, they're complementary. In fact, one drives the other as well. We'll see. Good works are evidence of God's grace being at work in us. Good works are evidence that God's grace has brought about that genuine repentance. You see, so, so what John is doing, I think, is he's telling the crowds how to demonstrate that God has actually worked in them on a heart level by his grace to draw them to himself. John's telling them how to demonstrate this reality, that it's actually true of them, that God has actually done this in them. And then what Paul is simply pointing out is that God's grace actually drives repentance and good works. And so we read on in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says this, for we are his workmanship, talking about God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the imagery that Paul gives us is that God is working these things in us, saving us so that we would walk in this way. That God has actually prepared for us to walk in in good works and demonstrate the work that he's done in us. And so what I think is happening here is is complimentary. John is showing us what this demonstrated repentance looks like. And Paul is telling us what drives it, what comes first, is the saving work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit that draws you to God, that shows you and convicts you of your sin. This is what the Spirit does. Helps us to see things clearly that we might turn from sin and walk towards Christ. And James says it this way in his letter, talking about faith and works. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, genuine faith and genuine repentance are demonstrated by our works. And finally, we see genuine repentance is also a specific repentance. And so I I, I love this cartoon that N.T. Wright quotes. Um, It's one of my favorite things that I've discovered. Uh, there's this cartoon that shows a skeptic shouting up to the heavens, God, if you're up there, tell us what we should do. Back comes a voice. Feed the hungry. House the homeless. Establish justice. The skeptic looks up, alarmed, and he says, just testing. Me too, replies the voice. It's quite funny, but it's also quite serious, right? Because, because we ask God, what should we do all the time when, when his word lays out clearly for us what we should do? Oftentimes, it's just that we don't want to hear the message. It's just that we, we want to continue doing what we want to do, not what God would have us do. 
You see, but the kind of repentance that John talks about, it's, it's not this repentance that, you know, sometimes we kind of get this idea that holy living is like removing yourself from the world and everything in it and, and just living kind of like a hermit. But what repentance actually looks like is, is specifically living in different ways in the world that you're in. So, so Mike McKinley said, notice that repentance is not going into a different world like a hermit, but living in the same world differently. And so look, look how John responds to their questions a little bit more with me about what repentant faith looks like specifically because he gives them very specific answers to their questions. In verse 11 it says, And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. So what we see here is that specific repentance is, is often demonstrated through generosity. Because here's what happens. When we, when we come to understand that God is the one who has given us all that we have, that God is the creator, that God is the sustainer, that God is the provider, that he's given us everything that we need, we begin to, to no longer hold on to our things. We begin to no longer grasp onto our money, our resources, our clothes, our food, our homes. We begin to, to not think that it's all about us anymore. But there's this shift that happens in us where we begin to believe that it's actually all about God not us. It's actually about what God would have us to do with the things he's entrusted to us. It's actually about how we love those made in his image that are in desperate need around us. You see, so, so this might look like you giving away one of your 12 to 15 jackets that you've got in the closet at home when you see a guy on the side of the street that doesn't have one. Or it might look like you taking the extra 10 minutes to drive back to the drive-thru, go through a second time, and get a burger for him too. You see, oftentimes genuine repentance is demonstrated in loving actions towards those in need. Because when we understand the gospel, we understand that God has taken a step off his throne, humbled himself by taking on flesh and come into the midst of the muck and the mire with us to redeem us from it, to bring restoration and healing and to give us what we actually need. Because you and I, if we hear anything from John's message, it's that we're in need spiritually. We are in desperate need. And Jesus, as we'll look at, in several weeks, talks about how the ones that are blessed, the ones that are happy in life, are those who realize this about themselves, are those who are, are poor, not those who are rich. Because you know what happens when we're rich? We oftentimes forget our need for God. But when God humbles us and shows us how desperate our need for him is, that's when a genuine kind of repentance can come about. When a genuine turning to God in faith happens. So, so John, he says, give him your tunic, give him your food. And then he says, the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And the soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. 
There's a couple of things I think John shows us here that specific repentance looks like not taking advantage of others and, and abusing the power that we've been given in life. Also, it also looks like being content with what God has given to us through honest means. So tax, collect- tax collectors and soldiers were notorious for abusing their position and their power. They would take from the needy to line their own pockets. And so when they come to John and, and they ask, what do we do in response? He says, you know what, what genuine repentance looks like for you? It looks very specific. It looks like not taking advantage of your position in life. It looks like only accepting what you need. And it looks like being content with what God has provided through honest means. So, so maybe, you're not, maybe you're not stealing at your job, okay? Maybe that's not where you're at this morning. Maybe you are. So maybe there's some relevance directly to you from John's message. But maybe, maybe you're not there, so maybe you're thinking, you know, this, this specific repentance doesn't really apply to me. Well, maybe specific repentance looks different for you. Maybe you're not taking advantage of people through your vocation, but maybe you throw your weight around and, and you kind of intimidate others to get what you want, whether that's at home with your loved ones or, or with your friends or, or at church or whatever it might be. Maybe you use your, your, your gifts and your skills to, to get what you want from people. So instead of using the things that God has given you, your position in life, your giftings and, and the resources he's given you to serve him and to love others, it's all about you. And so maybe genuine repentance for you looks like going to a trusted, believing friend in Christ and saying, what shall I do? Maybe it looks like you asking this same question to someone who will give you an honest answer and not just asking it, but listening. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with a spouse that has tried and tried and tried to tell their spouse, we've got some really serious problems and we need some help. And the spouse has said, I don't think so. And just moves on with life while their spouse is hurting. I can't tell you how many times in a friendship I see one person that's, that's seeing some serious issues going on, some serious problems that are causing some tension, and, and the other person is just kind of oblivious to what they're doing. And so maybe specific repentance for you this morning looks like going to someone that you know will tell you the truth about you, just like John does. Because that is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in life is someone who will tell us the truth about ourselves. And in fact, that's what God is trying to do through his word this morning. And so here's my question for you. Here's what I'll leave you with this morning. What does repentance look like for you? Because for all of us, it, it might look a little bit different, but it involves the same 180. Involves turning from sin and trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we desperately need your help this morning. We need you to show us the truth about ourselves.
We need you to help us see our need for repentance, our need for forgiveness. And we need you to show us the way to turn, specifically help us, help us to see where we need to repent, what that looks like in life right now. Help us to see how we can turn towards Jesus and walk with him by your grace, rejoicing in what he's done on our behalf. God, give us the grace this morning to see clearly that we might rejoice as those who have seen the salvation of our Lord. Jesus, it's in your mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen.